Welcome to the Reinventing Education Podcast. I'm Rob McLeod. On today's episode, we're joined by author and game developer, Michael Tomeno. In 2007, he founded Platinum Arts, where he developed websites and games. His most popular game, Platinum Arts Sandbox, is used in over 300 schools around the world. In 2013, Michael moved from upstate New York down to Gainesville, Florida. There, he worked in a few schools before settling down to write his nonfiction book, How to Be a Superhero. In our conversation today, we're going to touch on the importance of helping children to see their own superpowers, the importance of authentic listening, and just the reinforcement of gratitude and appreciation with students. We'll let one of Michael's former students and Michael himself speak. Here is a clip from the trailer for How to Be a Superhero, a video that was created for Michael by one of his former students. Hi, I'm Mike. Nice to meet you. I'm a teacher, author, and game creator. My work has won many awards and been featured in dozens of magazines, but none of that means anything compared to making a difference in a kid's life. As a teacher, I've had no greater reward than to be able to inspire a child. Many of the kids I've worked with have come from broken homes, and to be able to help them turn their lives around is the best feeling in the world. Oftentimes, all it takes is just letting them know I am in their corner and that I care about their success. One of my favorite experiences was on the first day of class, I would ask the kids what their superpowers were. I saw the light bulbs turn on for so many kids that had previously not wanted to do anything. They ended up creating so many stories of themselves as superheroes, animations, digital drawings, and putting all that on websites that they created. My goal for my book, How to Be a Superhero, is to translate my successes from the classroom to a global level. With your help, I'm sure we can do it and make the world a better place. Thank you so much for your time and your support. I hope you have the best day of all time. What's kind of relevant background for someone to know about you before we get into discussing your book today? I think the most relevant thing was that I've worked with kids for around, well, for a bit over 10 years and uh, I absolutely love it. And I love helping kids. I love helping adults. Um, I really like that you started with working with kids. You're coming at it from the person, from the, like the relationship side and not the like, I'm in this school system or I'm, I'm in this kind of thing. So cool. So maybe walk us through, where did the motivation for the book? How did it, how did it come together? Well, after working with uh, kids for, for a while, uh, usually through the, the school system, uh, I was feeling that the school system wasn't the best fit for me. I was really hoping that the school system and working, sorry, working in the school system would help me help kids. And it was kind of the opposite. There was a lot of, I don't know, almost trying to um, like restrict my ability to help kids sometimes, and um, which was a, a little disappointing. And also I wanted to reach more kids because it, my lesson was I was teaching media. So I was teaching every single kid in the school, which was, which is great. But then I was also thinking about, you know, what about the kids, uh, you know, down the street at a different school or, you know, across the, um, you know, across town or, you know, even like across the country. And so I figured with a book, not only could I reach, you know, every kid potentially in the entire world, uh, but also I could use that as a way to get into other schools and teach what I wanted to teach and then, you know, go, you know, leave, not have to deal with any administration headache stuff and um, also be able to just, you know, go, go pretty much any school that I wanted. Can you walk me through one of your media lessons? What kinds of things were you doing? You're seeing all students in a school. 
it sounded like you're pretty proud of the work for the most part you were able to do. What were you bringing to those classes to help the students? I'm extremely proud of, of the work that I did. And I'm very excited to say that I was really able to help change a lot of mindsets. Like the very beginning of, of me teaching, I was actually uh, coming in to, to fill in for, for the teacher uh, before me. And she had actually, unfortunately, been murdered. Uh, it was halfway through the school year and it was um, it, it was in a very, very poor part of town. So I, I, the kids were, you know, not in in a good place. You know, when I, when I first came into the classroom, they were very reserved. You know, they were sitting back in their chairs, like not wanting to do anything. And um, I went around and I asked each, each kid what their superpower was. And I I saw the light bulbs turn on in their heads and they went from, you know, sitting back in their seat with their arms crossed to, you know, being, being on the edge of their chairs, like so excited to tell me about what their superpowers were. And so uh, my first lesson plan with them was to have them actually write stories of themselves as superheroes. That, that alone, I think, really helped to shift their mindset from a fixed mindset to a, a growth mindset because those kids um, before they, they hadn't, I guess they were having trouble getting honestly anything done. And this is after months and months and months, you know, uh, like every activity that I did was, was based around them and around them being a superhero and, um, you know, kind of fleshing out their ideal selves as superheroes. And those kids actually ended up creating so much content that my idea of doing a school magazine wasn't possible anymore because they just had so much content that the file size would have been gigabytes. And so I had them actually make websites and they had uh, portfolios of, of their work. Uh, so that was, that was a very exciting problem for me to have. And that was a big motivation too for the book, because if I was having that kind of success, then I, I really wanted to figure out a way to, to hopefully, you know, branch that out to the, to the entire world and hopefully um, create that, that kind of success worldwide if possible. In education, we often like the stories of a student. Do you have any examples that you could share of how that kind of project influenced or motivated or changed the behaviors or trajectory possibly for a student? It changed the trajectory for, for a lot of students, uh, students that were having uh, discipline, discipline problems and trouble focusing, uh, you know, cause it was about themselves. And so it was easy for them to get excited about it. Being supportive, I think really helps too. like the fact that, that the kids knew that I was in their corner and that I cared about what they were creating. Um, because they, they loved to share what they, what they had made. And so kids that at first had been, you know, needing a little bit of structure, they, I, I really saw some, some, some huge changes. The story that I really like to bring up from actually my previous uh, school, which was, you know, I, I did a related thing, but um, so there, there was a boy that was in my, in my after school program. And when he first came in, he was, he was always like, you know, like really angry. Like if someone looked at him wrong, he would, uh, you know, just start going, you know, out of control. You know, when he came to me, I, you know, I, I let him know pretty early on that, you know, I really cared about his success. And what I ended up doing is 
writing stories for the, for the kids. And I said that, you know, if you want to write, if you want to be included in my stories as a superhero, then you need to write your own stories. And so he started writing stories and I, I wrote him little letters about telling him how proud I was of, of how well he was doing in after school and what a great job he was doing with the stories. And I ended up getting invited to, uh, to his place for, for Thanksgiving. And he showed me his room and he had those letters taped on his wall. And, um, so that was a huge, huge turnaround. And he actually had a kid at the end of the school year that punched him and he didn't punch the kid back. And, uh, the fact that he was able to make that kind of change, um, I was very impressed. And the fact that he was able to keep his composure after getting punched, you know, that's not an easy thing, um, you know, for, for anybody, you know, honestly, I don't know if, I, if I'd be able to do that, you know, I, I was very impressed and, and, and I, I, I continued to, to hear about him and, uh, he's doing really well. And I, I mean, I couldn't be happier about that, that story. It's, I mean, those kind of success stories, you know, it's, I mean, that's what it's all about, you know, being able to have meaning for, for somebody, you know, child or adult, um, you know, I don't know anything better. I kind of heard, I saw one of your videos and I heard you talking about the, the book itself and the kind of, the, I think there were three steps to becoming a superhero. Is that, is that right? And if so, could you tell us what those steps are and maybe how we can kind of bring them into the classroom uh, as you did in your lessons you just described there? The, the first part is identifying what are your real life superpowers? And because uh, we all have things that we're, that we're good at and that other people might not be quite as good at. Um, and so those are our superpowers. Uh, then we train our body and our mind. Um, also a part of that is learning to deal with negative emotions and, and situations because, you know, every, every superhero has a bad day, you know, like we all, we all have days that don't go exactly how we want them to. Um, but, but learning how to deal with that is, is really important and not letting it get to us. Um, and then going out in, into the world and, you know, helping people going out into the world and, and being a superhero. And, uh, you know, my number one way uh, to be a superhero is just to say hi to people, because I, I think that alone can make such a difference in, in people's lives. Well, I think what you said quite a few times already is ways that you connect with people kind of meaningfully. And, um, I think from, from the way you kind of spoke about school a little bit earlier, I, I could kind of guess that maybe you think that schools don't always work in that way. And I, I totally agree. I've worked in a whole bunch of different schools in my time and some really connect with kids and some kind of almost feel like they're deliberately putting barriers in the way to, to actually making meaningful connections. But um, what are some of the things that you see schools doing really well to support and make connections with kids? And maybe what are some of the things that we could kind of maybe do better in our kind of schools generally? Um, well, some of the ways that I really like how schools connect with kids. Um, well, I, I really like it when schools have events, like outside events. Um, you know, I, I think any time that you can bring the kids, the parents and the teachers together in a way that's that's fun. And and also that the, the kids get to see that that teachers are are human, you know, and and, and real people, too. That I think is is great. And for me, it's really fun because, you know, then I can I can talk to them in more of like a, a in a free environment, you know, versus like, you know, I got to I got to get through this lesson plan. You know, like we got to get we got to stay focused. Um, you know, it's 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 a lot more like free flowing. 
Um, I think those connections are incredibly vital. And, uh, uh, and also I really like it when there's events, when you can compete with the kids and, uh, cause those are always fun. There was a, uh, my favorite was, uh, um, there was like a, like a, a jousting, uh, setup, kind of like an American gladiator, you know, where, um, you know, you, you have a, a big like plastic thing, you know, where, and you're trying to like knock each other off like the platform. And, um, I had a bunch of the kids challenge me. And, um, so, you know, getting to send them flying was, <laughs> was, it was a lot of fun. So yeah. And anytime you can have those kind of like personal interactions, I think is, is really good. And maybe it should even be encouraged more. It probably should be, honestly. We actually spoke to a guy last week, um, who's, who's a professor of history and he essentially said the same thing, you know, get in and talk to the community, get, get, you know, make connections with everyone in the community and show that everyone's important and has a voice and, and that, that actually puts the ball back in your court. And so it doesn't, it's not up to the superintendent or the government to make all these decisions for the community. We can actually start to make those for ourselves. I like that a lot. I feel compelled to just share a silly anecdote connected to this from my own experience. Please do. Uh, school events. So the public school that I went to, a primary school from kindergarten to grade eight, there was a school tradition, last day of school, the grade eights, the graduating class would play a baseball game against the staff. And every class from kindergarten to grade seven would be out on the sidelines, cheering, going crazy. And it was amazing. Kindergarten to grade seven, people were actually focused and like watching this, like they're at like professional sports game kind of thing. And I remembered every year, most kids would cheer for the teachers, not the students, regardless of how hard those grade eights would try to like win you over. Like, hey, I'm I'm one of you guys. And it's like, nah, teachers. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So it was like the minority who are actually cheering the kids on. And I even remember in grade seven being like, oh, who are these these jerks, these students, like go teachers kind of a thing. And then I remember I had this like profound moment in grade eight where I'm like, why are you booing us? Like, we're good people. Like (laughs) this kind of a thing, like, why are you cheering for the teachers? And as silly as that sounds, having spoken with many other students who passed that school, they're like, yeah, actually that really messed with me too. When I was in grade eight playing baseball. And it was kind of cool to have like a school tradition that happened every year you were a part of it as an audience and then shifted over that you're a participant competing against the teachers and all that sort of thing. And it's like, I don't see, you know, there are certainly games between staff and students, but it's like something that has that kind of sense of like a rite of passage, that kind of thing I feel is largely missing from a lot of educational contexts these days. Yeah. I I think it's a, a great way to, you know, if there's any kind of like, angst between like any of the teachers and the kids like it's like a a fun way to like break that barrier and also like to you know to make everyone human you know to each other um because i that i think sometimes gets lost you know especially if like you have a a a kid that's you know like misbehaving a lot you know it's it's easy for the for the teacher to not to start like not seeing them necessarily as as you know the the human that they are just you know instead seeing them as you know, just this kid that misbehaves and as, as a problem instead of a person, you know, and, and I'm sure vice versa too, for the, um, for, for the kids. And, uh, and it's, it's easy to fall into, you know, no, no matter who you are, but, um, but yeah, so like those, those competitions, cause we used to do that too at a, at a school that I worked at, 
um, we used to compete against the the eighth graders um, that were that were uh, you know uh, heading off to, to high school, and um, man, it, it was so fun. We played football. We, we played soccer, or I, I guess it would be American football or to to you guys. Or sorry, I'm American. I don't. What am I saying? Um, yeah, it'd be it'd be American football and football to you guys. Brendan, anything happening in Osaka as far as competitive sports with the kids? Only, the only one that I remember was, you know, everyone's really well behaved all through the year. And then we have the sports day and it gets a bit raucous. And then it all kind of culminates in the tug of war between the, the parents and the teachers. <laughs> and it just, the, the rage just emerges and this kind of like, everyone just lets it all go. And then at the end, everyone just like, it's a tears and smiles and has fun and uh, hugs and high fives but in just for those few moments just once a year there's this like it's okay to just be totally kind of like kind of let it all go and I think you need those moments too as well as long as it's in that kind of a that spirit that positive spirit but I, I totally agree I think school kind of doesn't necessarily set itself up in, uh, for for those moments one thing i wanted to go back to that uh, you said mike a couple of times is um and a few other things i've seen and read is talking about gratitude and appreciation and um i really like what you were saying i think it was a podcast uh, an interview you did in um in those guys with the scooters in gainsborough do you know do you remember those guys they were they were kind. Of, they owned like a scooter shop, and they well, they also had a radio show. I wasn't quite sure where those things fit together, but it was a cool um, show. And um, yeah, you talked about gratitude quite a lot there and appreciation. I really liked that. I just wanted to get your take on the importance of that in in school and how it connects to the ideas in your book. Wow, I'm I'm impressed that you uh, um, they they did all that research. But yeah, that's exactly it. Like they they owned a, a scooter shop and and they do podcasts. Yeah, that that was a really great show. I really enjoyed um, talking about. <laughs> I guess I always enjoyed talking about the book. But uh, yeah, um, gratitude and appreciation. Uh, I'm starting to realize that it's more important than than I initially thought. Um, it, it really helps to change your your mindset too. Yeah, there's there's a quote, um, and I'm probably gonna butcher it, but uh, just you know, an idea that you know those who don't appreciate what they already have can can never be happy, and um, that really for me shifted my mindset because you know I, I was personally you know complaining about you know like this didn't work out, like this didn't work out, you know, like I you know I wish this would happen, whatever, blah blah blah, and um, and then instead like switching to the mindset of wow, like, look at, look at all these things that I have and all these things that I have going for me. And it's like, it's actually, you know, like I'm, I'm pretty lucky. Um, and yeah, I think that would be really good to try to get more into the schools, trying to think about ways that, that I could personally apply it. Yeah. Maybe even tell the students like how grateful I am to have them as my students or I do. So when I did the book tour too, I, I, I made sure to tell them like, you know, how, how grateful I was to, to be here and to be talking to them and also to hear what their thoughts were. So like when I do presentations, so I, I really don't like to have it be just me talking to them. I really like to have it be interactive and, and me ask them questions. Yeah. I'm sure there's a lot of great ways to, to encourage them to be grateful. Yeah, it seemed really important to you, and I know Rob talks about it a lot. I mean, I try myself, but 
I try to be appreciative, you know. Um, it's something I'm still working on. But I know, Rob, it's a, it's a really big thing for you, for sure. Yeah, I think it's big for me because, like, it's one of those areas that <clears throat> I think I'm quite atrophied in, and it's not a natural skill. So it's something I've dedicated some time and some practice to for getting better because I can certainly be a really entitled jerk a lot of the time and not be appreciative of all the things that are going well for me. Like you were saying, Michael, like, you know, and I think, well, if that's playing out for me as an adult like this, what kind of impact is that having for a student, for a child? And, you know, probably I'm guessing somewhere along the way, I must've picked up this as a kid or didn't develop my gratitude as a kid. And this has kind of been one of the trajectories where it's like, ah, this much later in my life, I've got to sort this out now because that's still my lack of gratitude is having a negative impact on me. I'm curious, are there things like that that you see, Michael, where it's like, oh yeah, I really want to make sure that kids are supported to get some of these things at this stage so they can use, whether it's gratitude or that sense of seeing themselves as a superhero, that that can serve them now and into the future. The reason why that's so important is because I think for pretty much everyone, our our natural um, self-talk is usually negative. Like, like we don't usually focus on the positives. You know, usually our, our brain goes towards the negative. Um, you know, me, me included. A lot of people think that I'm naturally happy, um, you know, happy-go-lucky. And, you know, every day is, is, you know, is a great day. Just, you know, like I just wake up, you know, and everything is, is sunshine and rainbows. And, um, and it's, it's definitely not that at all. Um, you know, it, it takes, it takes work and, um, you know, even like with the, with the gratitude, it, it, it takes work because really with, with everything, you know, you can look at it from, from, you know, at least two angles, you know, good, good or bad. And, um, you know, I, I think being able to move that self-talk more towards being grateful for it. And, um, I mean, not to go too deep but one thing that i think is like really interesting is how you can look at bad situations and be grateful for them um and i remember a, a quote from a book that said you know what if it was a gift so like when you have a bad situation you know like what if it was a gift because oftentimes in the bad situations are when you really learn something and there's some real growth um so i've actually learned to appreciate the bad times how do you translate that to kids um you know that that's probably easier said than done so as we're having this talk i'm like oh, i'm really thankful michael's in schools i like the work he's doing with students i like the book i like all the supportive and then like i keep coming back to like oh yeah the system weeded him out or made him lose interest in being in schools so i wonder if we could maybe even like just shine a bit of a light on this of like how did you become disenfranchised with the system how did you feel not supported in pursuing these things with students, you don't have to go into like the nuts and nuts and bolts of the specifics of your situation. But what do you see as some of the larger systemic problems that are weeding out people like yourself, who personally I would want <laughs> in schools? There's there's quite a bit, uh, but I think that I can pinpoint you know a, a major part of it, um, and that. I think the, the the biggest problem is is the fact that we're we're not really able to discipline as teachers anymore. So when I was a kid, if if I got in trouble with the teacher, you know, and my parents were brought in, it was basically like like the, the like my parents were on trial with me, and and the teacher was in charge, um, and the teacher was the authority. 
um, now, it, you know, when it, when a kid's in trouble, you know, it's, it's the teacher that's, you know, on, on trial. And uh, I don't think that's a good dynamic. Even in the, in the classroom, it's, it's actually frowned upon to suspend kids now or, you know, or even, even ex- expel kids. And I think that's not good. Um, and honestly, there's some kids that, that really need um, alternative learning environments. You know, there, there's sometimes that, like, you know, there's, there's some kids that really need the one-on-one interaction. And, you know, when I'm able to interact with them one-on-one, it's fantastic. But when they're in a classroom setting, you know, all, like the, like the different inter- interactions, like with the kids, like with the other kids that they just can't handle it. And I think there's a kind of like, maybe even a, a stigma to moving those kids to a different environment. I was going to say, like, I don't know if this is the context in your school situation, but I've heard variations of this theme across many countries. And that is often, not always, but often if someone's getting suspended, that statistic gets fed up the ladder and a school that has X number of suspensions per capita of students all of a sudden you get a superintendent breathing down your neck at the administrator level. So the administrator is incentivized not to write up the full or proper discipline report or follow through with certain things. Now, obviously there are also situations where yes, school boards have consciously said, we do not suspend students, for example. So I realize that's a separate thing, but there's often a lot of incentivization, incentive to meet the system's needs as opposed to the student's needs. At least from what you're sharing, it seems like that's a, a possibility, whether it was that in your context or in the context I'm sure others are facing. I know I've certainly heard things like that uh, from a few friends and colleagues in Germany where it's like, oh yeah, you know, you talk to the school and it's like, oh, we don't have any behavior problems at our school. It's like, oh, cool. Can I come and like hang out and see what great things you're doing? And then it's like, well, yeah, there, there's three kids who don't, who don't come to the school anymore. And it's like, oh, what support do you have for them? Well, no, it's, back in this room, if you notice that and it's sort of like a lot of these things are just swept under the rug and it's like, we don't have these problems. Whereas actually it's just, that's literally kids falling through the cracks and being ignored by the system until their time there is over. And, you know, I think often on our program, we're like critical on the systemic level, but I think there are some schools, there are some districts, there are some systems that are set up that definitely are, yeah, doing incredible harm to students now and potentially into the future. Yeah. Well, unfortunately too, a lot of the kids aren't, aren't learning discipline at at home, you know, like the family life situations. Um, for unfortunately, a lot of kids is is not good, and so if they're not learning at at school, then they're not learning it anywhere. It really hurts everyone. You know, it, it it's hard for the other students to learn. Um, it's hard for the teacher to teach, and you know, it's it's hard for that particular student to, to learn and to interact with with the other kids and teacher too. Um, and you know, those are it's important skills to learn, especially for when they go out into the real world. You know, like you if, if you don't have those skills to be able to, you know, know, you know, what are, you know, what are boundaries that you don't cross when you're working for somebody else, um, you know, and just being able to um, engage with other human beings, you know, it's, it's, these, these are very important skills. Um, 
and I actually found that because um, I'm I'm like I'm I'm relatively strict. I would say, you know, I I really don't like it when when kids you know break break the rules that I that I have set up, and I especially really don't like it when kids are are not good to each other. And I found that that the kids actually really liked it, and it actually enabled them to do more things. And uh, you know, especially in my after school group, those kids were actually able to do a lot more things than the other groups, um, you know, that were a little bit less disciplined, were, were able to do um, lots of fun stories with that. Yeah. If I bring in some of our like terminology from our podcast, we often talk about like kind of three types of schools, like traditional mainstream and progressive. And we say that each has like their babies and bathwaters. And I think one of the babies, one of the really good things of traditional schools are those the clear setting of boundaries things are fairly black and white you do not cross this line and in the healthiest sense of it that's one of the things you get and also just that idea of like like you're saying that self-control that you can't be impulsive here you need to learn how to interact with each other and you you know there's more than just you in the room and i think that's a really important piece to bring along because i don't know i imagine some people could hear the work you're doing with kids and it sounds like oh this is just cool but sounds really hippie really free structureless you know ruleless the kids can do whatever they want and if it's going well great but oh it would you know could easily fall off fall off the rail so i'm curious how do you integrate how do you how do you use some of those like different tools so maybe like the traditional order and structure that kids you know definitely benefit from that discipline and how do you bring in that kind of choice opportunity differentiation of mainstream? And then, you know, the biggest thing I've heard through what we've said today already is just that progressive, like valuing the students, the child's actual voice, their actual interests, their sense of self, you know, their path, what they're interested in. Do, are you able to like give us a recipe of how you kind of balanced those things? Well, I, I think having clear rules uh actually really helps to open all that up um and you know one thing that i think is really important is is explaining to the kids why uh certain rules are are the way that they are um and uh you know one of my favorite things was you know especially in, in after school um where i had a little bit more freedom to do to do this but you know so i'm i'm actually really a fan of 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 the timeout. um i would i would call it taking a break and so when I would, when I'd have a kid, you know, take a break, it would actually give me an opportunity to go and sit with them and talk about, you know, you know, you know, why they're acting a certain way and, you know, explain to them, you know, why, like what they were doing, you know, like, you know, wasn't, wasn't good. Or, you know, if they were, you know, acting a certain way, like towards a kid, um, you know, saying, well, you know, what if that kid, you know, acted that way towards you, how would you feel? And um, it's just like a really great way to like be able to connect and, um, and when you when you have those rules in place and and they understand why those rules are there, um, it just it just opens up the opportunity for for so many fun things. One of my favorite stories, if you don't mind me sharing, is um, in, in after school there you know they had a playground and there was like really big there was like some really big long logs that were for for a plant bed, and um, we had actually used those logs to make like uh, like little balance um, like little balance beams that you had to like. You had to jump from one to the next um, without touching the the dirt of the playground, without touching the sand, or you know that was that was lava. 
And then if you made it to the playground equipment, then you'd have to like, you know, go up the slide. So I actually had the little kids carry it. And these are second and third graders. And so, you know, like they're, they're tiny little things and, you know, they're like probably like 15 foot or at least 10 foot um, logs. And, um, you know, so, so it seemed like these little bodies, like carrying like these huge things. And so they'd actually, they'd team up and, um, you know, it, it was, it was so neat how coordinated the whole operation was because, you know, things could have gone south like really easily, but the fact that they were able to follow the rules and that I was able to trust them. Um, and they really, they really loved that they could, that I gave them that opportunity as well, because then they really felt a part of, um, you know, setting up. The, the playground, you know, it was like really, um, it was, it was really, really cool. Um, and we used to like have fun trying to like make each other, like fall off the logs and stuff. Like, you know, not like you just like, just like saying like, Hey, like, um, like, look at that. Is that a bird or, you know, is that a dinosaur? <laughs> you know, just try to, uh, suck people out. That's cool. And I, I think, um, yeah, having that balance that where you've got kind of the discipline, you've got the rules in place, but the kids know that they get a lot of choice and freedom in that too. I think that's really important. And having that like one of the criticisms of the traditional school is it doesn't give choice. One of the criticisms of the progressive school is it gives no rules. And so, you know, having that balance is really cool. I kind of thinking about some of my classes where I've taught and I've asked, um, you know, for kids to share ideas and generate things like what's your superpower or what's your strength, that kind of idea of a question that's at the core of your, your book. What would you kind of say if you're in a, in a class, maybe grade four or five and the kid's they're, they're blank and they, or or really they've got a, a real negative self-image and they, they don't they don't see that they have a superpower and I'm sure you know you may have come across kids like this in your class what what kind of strategies might we use to make them see that they do have a power and, and, and bring that out of them I think uh, just rewarding it and it's so interesting that you that you say that because uh, I actually found it's more adults that have that trouble, like figuring out like what kind of superpower that they've had, um, or have, um, and, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's been really interesting, like how many adults unfortunately have, you know, a negative view of themselves that they don't have any superpowers. And, um, so really it's just, you know, what are some things that you're, that you're good at? Um, and I find like one thing that that really helps is if I give some examples for, of myself first, just so they have like some ideas. Um, and so I've I've kind of a, a silly one, and that is my superpower is is eating, and um, I can I can eat really fast, and I can eat far more than most people could ever imagine. And so, yeah, just just trying to give like some examples like that, and um, you know I can run pretty fast. Um, you know, so like people just get an idea of, of like what superpowers might be. And, um, and oftentimes too, like just talking to people, I can kind of get some ideas of, of some things that they might be good at. And, um, I'd be like, Hey, like, you know, like you're, you're really good at having a, a conversation with me, or, you know, I I've seen that you you've been able to do this and, and do that. Um, you know, and it, like, once you kind of like get that spark going, then it's like, Oh, wow, you're right. And then, you know, it, it it's really fun. And one of the things we discuss is the idea of like a progressive educator, the relationship that they have with students is that of kind of like the counselor and the counseled. Um, and I think that's a really good embodiment of that. You'd only be able to provide those answers to students if you've actually been 
in relationship with them, actually paying attention to them, actually watching them, actually curious about what makes them tick that you could offer like, Oh, I, I, you know, I've seen you do this or that kind of thing. And I think that's one of the babies or one of the really strong parts of the progressive educator is to be able to point out those things that the child themselves maybe doesn't see yet, or maybe couldn't name yet. But then once you've given them that label, it's something that now, hey, that's in front of me now. I can play with it. I can work with it. Yeah, I think it really changes their world once they start to realize like, wow, there is actually something special about me. Um, and one of the most exciting things to me is, um, you know, so we all have our different superpowers. I think it's like the most fun when we're able to come together and combine our superpowers, kind of like what we're doing today. Yeah, the new Avengers. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, phase four. Uh, the question, you know, I work in an IB school and a lot of uh, the talk is about students uh, taking their, their what they've learned and putting it into action. And that's basically what you're saying in, in your book in that kind of that third step. So what, what would you say to encourage kids or even adults? And it's interesting that you said adults. I actually tried to think of my superpower and, and uh, it was it was quite difficult. Uh, I can list off a few, but I, I wanted a good one. I didn't, want, I didn't want just an average one like I could, uh, you know, I could reach things on really high shelves. I wanted to, so I thought my superpower was that I would connect ridiculous things as I've just done then. So maybe that's my superpower. But I, what would you say to encourage kids and adults to take their superpowers out into the community and into the, into the world? Well, first of all, I think the fact that you can reach things that are on, on high shelves is actually a great superpower because you can take that out in the community because, you know, there's oftentimes, um, you know, I'll see at the grocery store, someone having a hard time trying to reach something. And um, I actually do have uh, longer arms than, you know, than I probably should for my, for my body type. And, um, you know, so I, I can help those people out, you know, and um, like, I, I love going the extra mile to reach those, you know, hard to get areas, you know, on, on the shelves, you know, because um, sometimes this is a struggle, you know, sometimes, sometimes it's the product is really far back on that shelf. So anyway, um, yeah, like I don't, I, I think we, we have a, a tendency to, to overcomplicate, you know, what, what a superpower could be because, you know, if, if you're helping somebody get an item on a shelf that they can't get themselves, you know, that's honestly, that's, that's changing their day. You know, that could, it could be a really important item, you know, um, so I don't think that's a small thing. And it's also a way for you to connect with other people. You know, like when you help that person, like you are actually being their superhero and you're, you're creating a relationship with them. Um, so it's actually not a small thing in my opinion. Thanks. So I have, I have multiple superpowers. That's even better. Um, but, but I do think that that was uh, when, I, when I heard about the book, that was the, uh, the real core of it. Yeah, you can do something. You know, see a lot of books for kids to say you're special, you're great. And it is true. It's important. But yours kind of goes the next step and says, and then you can take this power and, and help people with it. I think that's, uh, that's really beautiful. I think that's a, a really great message. Thank you so much. Uh, and I agree. Um, I, I think it's so important to, um, you know, be able to use our, our, our superpowers to help people and that it doesn't need to be super complicated. And, um, you know, like I said, like, even like with, with just saying hi to people, um, I mean, I've, I've really seen it change so many people's days 
And uh, I've seen so many people just down in the dumps and I'll be like, you know, Hey, how how you doing? And others like, Whoa, like someone acknowledged my existence. And, um, you know, and then when they're, when they're happy, then they, then, you know, everyone else that, that they encounter, they make them happy and they go home to their family and, you know, they're in a good mood and help make their family be in a good mood. So it's, you know, and just like the same thing, like when you're helping someone reach something on a shelf, you know, you're, you're brightening their day. And then, so all the people that they're encountering, it's brightening their day. Um, and I'd love to hear all about your, your other superpowers, um, at, at some point. Um, I, I think, I, I think I can name a few for, for you already. Okay. Go for it. Well, for one thing, I think you're a very, a very calm and, and patient person, which I think is, is a great superpower. Um, I can see you're, you're a musician, which I think is fantastic. Um, it looks like you play at least guitar, um, maybe piano. I can't tell exactly what that music okay. is. Um, so those are some, some great superpowers right there. Um, I'm sure you make a lot of people happy with your music, um, you know, if, if not yourself. And that alone is, is really important. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. I try. <laughs> I don't know how much I succeed, but I try. Thank you. Well, I think too, like if it makes you happy as, as I'm digger or sorry, digging deeper into the psychology of everything. Cause I'm, I'm really into psychology. If, if I'm sure you guys can tell, I've been really finding that like, I think the most important thing is actually being a superhero for yourself, like being good to yourself, because when you're, when you're good to yourself, it makes it so much easier to be good to other people because when you're not good to other people or to yourself, then you know that's when it's hard to be good to other people. And so if I, I, I was actually trying to figure out like a, a good, like superhero, like code of, of, of conduct, so to speak. And um, I couldn't figure it out, like right in the book, like it, I just, I had a list that was way too long, but um, I think now if I was to put it in um, and it's still a work in progress, you know, number one, most important thing, being good to yourself and then being good to other people and then just being good to, to the environment. I don't, I don't think it has to be more complicated than that. Beautiful, Michael. Thank you very much for this talk today. Yeah. Thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. Brendan, you're a man who's a big fan of comic books, action movies, superheroes in general. We've been hearing about the daily, day-to-day superheroes here. I'm curious if we went through each of our kind of three types of teachers, our three kinds of school, the three stages of traditional mainstream progressive, can we flesh out what possibly could seem like the best superhero in the traditional mindset or some of the characteristics, best mainstream superhero and best progressive superhero? Simple yes or no question. Can we? No, Rob, that's simply impossible. <laughs> All right. Then I will start. We'll see if we can get this ball rolling. Here, let me let me throw something before you get started. Mm-hmm. The, the book was really cool in that it kind of painted a little bit of how the hero themselves feels internally and also how they're perceived. So I think that's something to bear in mind as you give us your two cents on the three types of superhero. Um, How do those superheroes themselves feel and perceive themselves and their powers and their role? And then how does society at large and locally perceive them? Okay. 
Let's try this and let's not just do straw men examples. We're not trying to create caricatures or mocking versions of any of these, but I think it is important to understand, yeah, to get a sense of how someone coming from a different value system than you might um, perceive who is super or above the rest. I'd say if we start with traditional, we're likely looking at someone who by others would be perceived as really fulfilling their duties or being a fantastic role model by like upholding the values or virtues of the society and kind of acting as like, you know, what's the word? Almost like a spokesperson for your culture's values. It's like that's someone walking the talk in everything that they do. But I think from the superhero's perspective, that they wouldn't necessarily see that they're doing anything special, just rather this is what should be done. This is what is the right thing. What else would I be doing? To do any less wouldn't be correct. Is that nuanced or am I over oversimplifying that? I mean, th that that brings to mind the, the heroes of Captain America and Superman. So your Marvel, your DC, they're, they are, promoted as the as the boy scout sometimes they're referred to as those kind of characters they are they're pure of heart and they fulfill their duty to to protect and serve all those around them and they're they uphold the values of in this case America but general generally values of goodness and yeah they are and have been for the last 50 years, the most popular heroes. So even maybe out there, people who identify more with a mainstream or a progressive kind of mindset, it'd be interesting to see how they would perceive Captain America and Superman. I mean, when you see the Marvel movies, they really had to, Captain America got darker and darker. Literally his costume got darker and darker as they went through the movies and they've done the black costume Superman where they try and, bring some darkness to the light, but they, they're, they're most popular and they seem to work best when they're just fulfilling their role as just the good person at the center. They just happen to have these amazing powers, but they're just using them in the same way that a police officer would or any other person serving the community. They just happen to be able to do magical things. Would it be crazy to say that those superpowers are an extension of their duty? Like... If you have this power, it gives you the authority or possibility to do whatever set of miraculous things. And with that power comes great responsibility. You need to continue to do the best things possible with those powers. Yeah, and it's interesting that you've dropped the Spider-Man reference in there because he's arguably someone I would bring up more as we get into the mainstream. He's a little bit more conflicted in his duty. Uh, through to through his context and I don't want to start this was supposed to be me being a geek about comics for 30 minutes but the criticism always of Captain America and Superman is that they are there's not a lot to them other than them just fulfilling their duty but in the real world that's kind of that's what you want. Maybe it doesn't make for great stories all the time. Although there's some great stories. And often the, the interesting Superman and Captain America stories are the ones where they are morally tempted or challenged, where Captain America suddenly 
turns out he's been a sleeper agent for the bad guys for decades and suddenly he reveals his his true dark inner and and we don't like that we're just waiting for captain america the good and the bold and the brave to come back and i think yeah an extension of the goodness we see in the world around us and that more traditional doing your duty and thinking of others and respect so you've got the comic knowledge you've got the action movie knowledge that i don't have we move into mainstream where maybe I'm totally in the wrong here, but I'm thinking this is where certain strengths or powers maybe get magnified more than at traditional. And I'm kind of picturing like that idea of the mainstream value of like, we always want to see someone progressing and we like the idea of those who are at the top as like the embodiments of success, progress, you know, intelligence, merit, all these kinds of things. Do we move into a world and again, I don't even know my X-Men very well, but is this where we move into a world where like each person is kind of the best at their specific power, be it jumping or strength or freezing things? I mean, it's a weird one because the X-Men themselves, they're mutants, so they're born with those powers. And although they do kind of train, it's necessary. It's, it's essentially that they, this is just what they do and they happen to be the best. Help me connect the dots then. Mainstream leaning view of what a superhero could be above and beyond what Michael has pointed out in this book. It's a kind of weird one, because what would you say were the core values of a mainstream person? And then you can maybe extrapolate from that. What are the core, most positive versions of a mainstream Yeah, well, if mindset? we connect it to school, the idea of seeking merit, honest, fair, seeking of merit as well as the belief that anyone can progress and get what is fair for them to have like you should be rewarded for your merits yeah the idea that we should be more objective about things and not um, reward people for lineage or reputation but rather as i was saying before that being rewarded for your strengths. So the comic book fans out there are probably shouting Batman, Iron Man, Doctor Strange. They're all characters that essentially didn't or don't have superpowers and basically built themselves from the ground up. I mean, Batman was a billionaire, so but he, but he still trained and he learned all of these martial arts and became the world's greatest detective and applied that. Iron Man essentially built a technology industry from nothing and then used that. And Doctor Strange did a very similar thing with the mystic arts. He went over to the to the Misty Mountain and he studied for decades until he became the Sorcerer Supreme. So those self-made people who became who actually came from very little into being the ultimate hero. And that is the core of the hero's journey story as well, isn't it? That that kind of moved us arguably from a traditional mindset to this aspirational one. I think that is one of the myths we began to tell ourselves. The hero's journey, we can't get into it here, but that has so many different ways you can look at it. But one way you can look at it is it, it is about becoming the best and then using that bestness to help people around you. And so... I think those kind of three self-made characters, and there's many more, 
but um, does spring to mind. The billionaire superhero. Billionaire. Dr. Strange is not. He's not, He lives in a nice house, sure. But I don't think he Do we know about offshore accounts or anything, though? Well, he was, he was a, a well-respected surgeon, and he threw it all away. I don't know if you've seen the movie. But, um, is that one of the Bond films? Yeah, well, Strange love. Could be. Could be. Bond... Bond is not an area I want to delve into. He's a... The, the idea of the anti-hero, which Bond went from being a straight-up hero to more, a little bit more of an anti-hero. Mm, I don't know. This gets... Where the water gets a little bit more muddy, and I think as you move into the progressive and things become a little bit more relative, maybe that's where we're getting into some of that stuff. But I but I think, no, the, the self-made person, Tony Stark, Iron Man, is a... It's a good example of the mainstream hero. And uh, maybe we can't all build um, Hulk-busting armor, but maybe we can all use our brains and our skills and our talents to improve ourselves and the people around us. Which seems like that does evolve in its way from maybe the grand large scale of mainstream back down to a smaller, more local or community scale with progressive. And I think this is probably closer in alignment with what Michael's saying. It's like, no, you don't need to be the head of Stark Industries. Is that the name of it? You don't need to be the CEO. You don't need to be all over the billboards, all over the news. You don't need to be hanging out with the mayor of Gotham, those sorts of things. It's like, no, in your day-to-day life, you have superheroes. You have superheroes around you. And it's more about what is it that you contribute? What is it that you bring? What is it that's your unique flavor, your special thing that has an impact in a positive way on those around you and like really tuning in and finding out what your strengths are. I think that's that more progressive thing of like, no, it's not someone else's standards. These are your standards. And maybe if we go back to that, how does the hero see themselves versus someone else? The hero I'm thinking sees it as like, oh yeah, I'm really glad this is one of my strengths and I glad or appreciative that I can bring this. Others perception of them I think that's maybe where we get into a bit of the relative thing of like, ah, I don't know whether that's a big deal or not. But for the people that it is a big deal to, it maybe means the world to them for what this person's doing. I think it's a little bit tricky when you look at superheroes because by their nature, they're just designed to have these powers and to succeed. And although you do get Spider-Man with his moral quandaries and that is kind of a trope in Marvel comics, especially, the... This idea of using your own relative powers, your own God-given or intrinsic or genetic powers does then bring me to the X-Men because, of course, we see the the top range, the top tier X-Men of Cyclops and uh, Beast and uh, Iceman and all those guys who have top range powers. But in the last 10, 15 years or so, they've played around with some people whose mutations are not quite as favorable and there's um, one character called Beak, who's a kind of geeky uh, bird type character and been through a bunch of incarnations. But essentially the message is not all mutations are top tier. Sometimes you kind of get the the short straw. and basically, But basically you can still be the best you can be and you can still use those powers to help. And I know that's a trope that runs maybe through mainstream and even through 
traditional kind of mindsets, but I think it much more comes to the forefront in progressive. It's like, yeah, maybe you aren't the tallest or the fastest or the strongest or the smartest, but you're here and you're 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 valued and and you can bring something. You follow what it is that's important to you, but you bring that back to the group as well. So I think that hero, you've got a little bit of the Spider-Man being torn between where he should go. It's a little bit more kind of realistic. It's a little bit more like, you know, maybe you, you can't always be a hero. Not everything is clear cut. Maybe at times you might be perceived by some people as a villain, as J. Jonah Jameson at the Daily Bugle perceives Spider-Man as a menace. Maybe there's a little bit of progressive thinking there as he's like, well, I'm just doing what I what I think is right, and that's all I can do. This guy, Beak, he has his ups and downs. Yeah, and I think that's what I really liked about Michael's message is to be a superhero, this isn't something that transcends being human, but rather it it really is about our humanity, and it is who we are. There's one thing I wanted to check in. I know we did the interview a few weeks ago now, and this is us catching up on it today. But I, I really liked the moment towards the end of the interview where Michael had taken a turn with you of identifying some of the strengths that he perceived with you, seeing the musical instruments in the background and all that stuff. And at least in the video on the call, like you really seemed to have like a real smile. Your eyes lit up. How was it for you to have someone point out your superpowers, your strengths, the positive sides of you. I think it's nice when people say nice things and the power of praise or the power of positive kind of motivation is one thing. And also what I liked more about it was was less about what he said, which was really nice and uh, uh, made me feel good. But also just being aware that you can do that. You can look at somebody and listen to them carefully and then say that thing back to them. I think that's that's kind of a, a nice thing to do and fits in with the, with the line of sometimes all you need to say is hello or good morning or... What was your take on that, Rob? Because that obviously stuck with you that uh, that Mike kind of broke the fourth wall of the interview and said... And uh, yes, said, said some things that um, were perceptive and positive and fit very much in the line with these ideas that if if we give each other praise and feedback that is you know that's a nice way that's a, that's a it's a helpful and positive way to go about our day yeah i really liked it because i think it points to a practice that you might see in a more progressive circle um, some people call it circling i think it's just an extension of nonviolent communication and that's just owning your own experience, directly sharing what your experience of someone else is. Now, often in the nonviolent communication world, that's usually done more so with like challenging things of like, you can't just say, you make me mad. You've got to own it in terms of like, I feel frustrated when you. But it also works completely in the positive sense, which is usually where the practice of circling, I think, comes from a little bit more. And it's just more like, oh, when I'm with you, I notice I feel more this way or... You know, when we talk, I really appreciate how, whatever it is. If we look at skills or capacities or exercises that can help develop those capacities, that's a really important one in terms of like the emotional and interpersonal development of people. I think there's probably a trajectory of that over time. And if it can start 
at a younger age with people just sharing what they appreciate about someone else. I think that's a great like stepping stone in terms of like de- developing, building, scaffolding that skill over time to being able to have more access to those levels of interpersonal skills of acknowledging your own experience, sharing with someone else your experience of them, allowing yourself to receive their experience back, meeting in the middle, those kinds of things. I think those are incredibly important. And I think it can start with something as simple as just paying attention, showing your listening, authentically being interested in someone else. And then reporting back sounds like too objective of a word, but like just sharing back your experience of someone. I think that's a really beautiful thing. So mm. I, I really liked that. And I liked that you were able to receive it because I know sometimes you get a little squirmy when I tell you how much I appreciate you. So I appreciate that uh, that you you were able to follow along with Michael. That was nice. I had to hold my breath. I had to hold all my Northern English skepticism in check and say, no, this person is genuinely saying something nice. But uh, no, all joking aside, it was it was great that uh, he took time to do that. And I know uh, he said he, he does that with his students a lot. And I think it is a good practice. And I think that's important the way you say that word practice in that not only practice in the sense that it's something you do, but practice in the sense that it's something you get better at by doing it, even though it might feel a little unnatural to begin with or at times. Um, trying to see that good and that appreciation and saying it, not something I do very often. I can see you at your edge. This is an area that you can work at. But one of my appreciations of you is you're good at identifying these things and taking practical steps towards them with systems in place to help you. So thank you very much to Michael for reaching out to us, How to Become a Superhero. That is his book. What I really liked was Michael and I, I think we just had come across each other's work through a Facebook group of mutual interests. And then we got talking and then it was like, hey, we should record this for a podcast. And I'd just like to extend that invitation to anybody else who's listening at this moment to say if you are doing something cool in education or you know someone else who's doing something unique and worthy of speaking about, we're happy to get in touch with folks these days and broaden our own social world a little bit because there are incredibly cool people all over the world doing cool things, but we don't necessarily all know about each other's work. So please reach out to us at reinventingeducationpodcast at gmail.com. Reinventing Education Podcast, all one word, no underscores, no spaces, no blue uno cards in there. Just one gigantic word before that at symbol. Reinventing Education Podcast at gmail.com. You can find Brendan or I on Facebook, Rob McLeod, Brendan O'Leary. Reach out to us. It's just, uh, I think one of the rewarding parts about doing this podcast is being able to be a bit of a magnet for cool people doing cool business. Enough said. Thanks, Brendan. Thanks, Rob.